right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. You don't got time that right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We know he's going to play more. We know for a fact he's going to play more. Even if David McCormick is able to play on Saturday, which it sounds like he's going to be able to play, he averages 24 minutes a game. Do you think he's hitting that 24 minutes? I certainly don't. It would seem highly unlikely that he's going to play more than 20. I think if you get 10 to 15 from David, I would see that as a huge success. Even if he didn't have COVID. Being away from the team for that amount of time, I just, I wonder. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm overthinking this way too much, but I don't think Dave's going to play 25 minutes. Mitch is going to play more. Bill Self said on Sunday that Tyon Grant Foster is going to have every opportunity to increase his role because we know now that Jalen Wilson did not travel with the team. He's not going to play in either game this weekend. Jalen Wilson is your Swiss Army knife. He's your best defensive rebounder. He's probably your third best shooter from the outside. He is your second or third best scorer in general. He is probably your second best scorer inside. He does a little bit of everything. He provides length defensively. He's like not the best at anything other than defensive rebounding, but he's amongst the best at so many different things. You can't replicate that. But because he does so many different things, it's really difficult to figure out who is going to see their role increase the most. Like if Tristan Inaruna comes back, do you all of a sudden expect him to play more? If so, what do you expect to get from him? Same thing with, you know, we said about Dave applies to Tristan. How much do you get from a guy that hasn't played or practiced with the team in the last week and a half? Who's the guy you're most interested in? Mm-hmm. And it could even be a starter. It could even be Ochai or Marcus just because you expect them to go takeover mode. But, like, knowing this team's going to be shorthanded, and now it's the NCAA tournament where the intensity is at its highest. Like, who stands out to you in terms of just wondering what they're going to look like? Um, to me, it kind of is Tristan and Aruna because of the fact that, like, when you say, what is it going to look like? Like you said, you don't know how COVID's going to affect it, how being away from the team's going to affect it. And already, unlike Dave, you were starting from a lower point of how many minutes was he going to get to begin with. But you look at what they're facing in Eastern Washington, and, you know, with most mid-majors, it's going to be a team who's going to play a little bit smaller, and their five-man, in a lot of cases, is going to be able to step out and shoot threes. You would think... If KU played Eastern Washington at some point in the regular season, okay, cool. We'll just put Jalen Wilson at the five. We'll put Tristan and Arun at the five. And they're five men who, you know, may be like a solid three-point shooter. Now he's going to have no advantages. He's not going to be bigger. He's not going to be faster. But now you have the mismatch potentially of him on Mitch or maybe a, a worsened David McCormick. 
if Tristan Anaruna can play healthy enough and maybe spell you for 10, 15 minutes, like, he could be a guy that I think fits into that. But I don't know. Like, what do you think realistically is going to happen? Because to me, I've seen some people float the idea out there of, oh, this could be a game tie on Grant Foster, when in my eyes, I view this more so as, oh, this just means Marcus is going to play 40 minutes, Christian's going to play 40 minutes, uh, Ochai's going to play exactly 40 minutes. exactly what I was about to say. Let's start there. Let's start with what we know and then increase it. And I say 40 if it's a 15-point game with four minutes left. Like, sure, sure you let the dogs off. But 100% of all the meaningful minutes, maybe a two-minute break here for Marcus, for Dewan to come in or something, it's going to be those three guys, right? Yeah, it's it's March. Ochai and Marcus aren't coming off the floor unless they have to. So those guys, you're right. They're going to play 40 minutes. Christian, you could say that, but Christian hasn't played great the last couple of times out. I mean, when's the last time he had a really, just name the game. When's the last time he was just really good from deep where he was knocking down shots? No, I think I think uh, coming into the Big 12 tournament, he was like 5 of 25 on his previous three-point shots over like five or six games. But he has to play. Mm-hmm. He has to play. Now, he didn't score a single point against Oklahoma. He went 0 of 4. But he is going to, and he played 28 minutes in that game. He's going to play more than that. He could be slumping, and he's going to play because who else are you going to put out there? Mitch was so good in the first half of that Oklahoma game, right? You have to stop short of saying Mitch was just unbelievable in that game. He finishes with 11 points, four rebounds. He played in 20 minutes. He's probably playing 25 minutes in this game. I would guess he's going to play more than... And that's the thing is, whoever's out there at that position, because there's so much uncertainty, it's kind of to the point now where you say, okay, like, what, whatever you can give, it's it's no, it's no longer icing on the cake as it has been for so long with Mitch. Whatever you can give us is, is great, right? We don't need it, but we'll take whatever you have. No, now all of a sudden you need production from him with Jalen out. The guy I'm really interested in, though, is Bryce. Bryce has that competitiveness. Bryce has that fire that you either have or you don't. Like, it doesn't always result in positive plays. It doesn't always result in production. But the way he plays, and knowing now that it's the NCAA tournament, I don't expect to see it for five games. I don't even expect to see it for multiple games. But if Kansas is to go on some sort of a run, if they make it to the second weekend, one of these first two games, Bryce is going to make a couple plays where you say, okay, this kid's special. I would uh, say the same thing about Dewan Harris, though. Like, and for me, it's it's with both of them. It's not going to be a game where you say, "Oh, they were the best player on the court." It's going to be moments in time. I think that's what you're referring to, right? Like, there's going to be a few moments where he hits a big shot, or he makes a big steal, or he comes in for a five minute stretch, and maybe he looks like the best player on the court for that five minute stretch. Mm. But over the course of the game, it's not going to happen. And I think, yeah, there's no way that KU can do that without both Bryce and Dewan. I think stepping up over. Again, it doesn't have to coincide with the same game. Maybe it does against a better opponent, but in the early rounds of the tournament, maybe that's enough. And, you know, maybe those are the two guys, Dewan and Bryce, that are going to get the most impact of like a minute upgrade by Dave and Tristan playing less. You said Mitch, that's the other one. But like when you look at, for instance, Eastern Washington, Tanner Groves, he's six foot nine. He was like the player of the year in the conference. You'll just put Mitch or Tristan or Dave or whoever on him. Outside of that, like you look down the lineup, it's 6'4", 6'6", 6'7", 6'7", 6'2". 
there's no reason that you couldn't, if you wanted to, basically have Christian or Ochai play the four all game. You know, without Jalen Wilson, you don't have him as the four anymore. So you can put one of those guys, and you know what that means? That means Bryce or Dewan is next to Marcus in the backcourt if you're going to play four guards that way. Yeah, but how much four guards do you think we're going to see? I uh, think it pretty much is predominantly four guards, right? Uh, I mean, I guess technically you could say before it was four guards. Yeah, but yeah. Wilson oh, yeah, okay, was more yeah. of a, I don't know, he's more of a wing. Right, okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, I guess I wasn't considering Jalen or Tristan yeah. Yeah, when I say four guards, I mean real guard. Like, Christian Brown is a shooting guard, you know? I guess right. Ochai, you could say, is a wing, but he's 6'5". He's like basically if we're, a shooting are guard. Are you, yeah. You're asking how many lineups are we going to see of Marcus, Dewan, Ochai, and Christian? Or, yeah, I guess, who am I missing? Bryce. Or sub out Dewan for Bryce. Yeah, there'll be a lot. Because even if everybody was healthy, Tristan's one of those guys, man, where... He'll play 10 minutes, and I know I'm in the minority in this because a lot of people like the minutes that that he's given this year. But Tristan, to me, is the guy more than anybody else in this team where he will get out there and play, and I won't notice. But he hasn't been playing much. He didn't play much ever since Bryce came back. He is the one, along with Dewan, who suffered the most from Bryce returning from injury. Since Bryce returned from injury... He played 10 against Oklahoma State. He played seven in both games against Iowa State. Played four minutes against K-State. He didn't play against Tech. He didn't play, oh, he played less than a minute. I think it was, I don't even know when he came in against Texas. He logged zero minutes. Played two minutes against Baylor. Didn't play against UTEP and then obviously didn't play against Oklahoma. But that was after he was, you know, not even there because of contact tracing. So, what does that equal? 30 minutes? Since February 8th, 30 minutes. Christian Brown played 28 the other night against Oklahoma. Yeah. So, even if Tristan were healthy, mm-hmm. even if COVID wasn't an issue, he's not in the rotation anymore. So, to, to circle back to this question, Jalen not being out there is a big question mark. I'm not buying the idea that Tyon Grant Foster is going to play much in this game. No, I agree, but... Here, the, like the guys, position. the guys who are going to play, and it's this is huh? the NCAA tournament. The guys who are going to play are the guys who have been playing all year. Yes. Here's the thing, though. This doesn't go for Tyon, but it might go for Enrua's favor. Somebody has to play the five, right? So, if Mitch even gives you 20 minutes, if Dave even gives you, I don't know, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, Tristan could give you the other five, maybe. Any chance we see a five guard lineup? Where like Marcus Garrett's depend- defending the other team's five. Give me the five. It would be Bryce, Dewan, Marcus, Ochai, Christian. <laughs> Any chance. In this first game, maybe. I mean, the only in the second game mismatch- it's suicide. Yeah, I'm saying the first game. If you're doing that against USC, no, 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 no. you're probably down no, by 14 I'm saying points. Eastern Washington. Because the only size mismatch you'd really have there is on the center, but we've seen Marcus Garrett hold his own against centers. And it's not like this center for Eastern Washington is like a physical specimen who's going to be able to bury him in the post. I think the only way that happens is if KU is not playing well. That is not going to be the preferred option for Bill Self and this coaching staff. It will be because this game is tight and all of a sudden they have to try something different. Because Eastern Washington's playing small and it's giving Kansas problems. Because somebody's getting exposed on defense. I.e. Mitch Lightfoot's getting exposed on defense. Yeah. Right Now again, we keep talking about this. 
and I know I've sort of talked out of both sides of my mouth, Dave is going to play. I feel confident about that because Bill Self has said time and time and time again, Dave is going to play in this game. My question is, how much is he going to play and how ready is he going to be to go? Those are where my concerns lie. Not that I don't think he's going to be ready. Not that I'm skeptical he's actually going to be out there. I'm skeptical of how effective he's going to be when he's out there. I think that's a fair point, and I think that would lead to the common question of what does that do to KU's offense? I mean, we saw no Dave in the Big 12 tournament game, and I guess if if you have one of your wings go off, then it's fine, right? Vochag Baji goes out there and scores another 28 points or whatever he had in the Big 12 tournament game against Oklahoma. Your offense will be just fine to pair with your defense. But we've seen over the past couple months when Dave has, has looked like the improved player that looks like an all-Big 12 caliber center, we know the offense goes through him. Uh-huh. And there has been a wide correlation between how Dave has played with how the offense has played. I mean, look no further than, what was it, two weeks ago when they played UTEP? Dave, I think, went 1 of 6 or 0 of 6 in the first half. KU had 20 points at halftime. In the second half, he goes off, and they score 40-something points in the second half. You think back to the Texas Tech game. They uh, had a really good half when Dave went like 7 for 7. I think second half, they tightened up a little bit. And that's all it's going to take against a team like Eastern Washington. It is. Like, let's be real about this. You do not have to play a good 40 minutes of basketball to beat Eastern Washington because how many good minutes of basketball did KU play against UTEP? 5-10? That's enough. That will be enough. Now, I don't think Bill Self's going to be calling me in to give that pregame speech <laughs> to his team. Five minutes. Five good minutes is all we need, boys. <laughs> Do what you want the other 35. We just need five good minutes from you. Like, I would hope he comes up with something better than that. But that's the reality of the situation, given the opponent that you're playing. Now, is there a chance KU plays 40 minutes of bad basketball? I guess. But the, no, but the 30-plus minutes of bad basketball we saw them play against UTEP was the longest stretch we've seen them play like that in the past month and a half. And it came in a game that sort of felt like it was a filler. It came in a game that was sort of a exhibition feel because your conference season was already over. It's like, let's just stay fresh. I don't think they, they went into the, that game with the sense of urgency that they probably should have. Now it's the NCAA tournament. Now you've got Two of your players who you haven't seen in a week and a half. You got another one of your players who's not going to be there with you. I think this team is going to be as locked in as they have been all season long. Because you know what just happened? Their season flashed before their lives. They said, we were that close. We were that close to our season being done and us not even get to play in the NCAA tournament for most of these guys for the second straight year. So I'm not saying that Every team's not feeling that way based off how weird this season's been. I'm saying specifically for Kansas, I think they're going to be locked in, and I just feel pretty confident that they're going to give you more than five minutes of good basketball. And if you give Eastern Washington more than five minutes of good basketball, you're going to beat them. It's a shame that we didn't get to say see further in the Big 12 tournament, not just because, you know, you want to see them play and stuff, but um, just to see if, like, Ochai – if that was maybe the start of a, I, I hate to say like Malik Newman type run in March because that's ridiculous to even compare to that. He was shooting like 60% from three, which is just unbelievable. But if he is a guy who is ready to go on this crazy run in the month, because 
He was dominant in that game against Oklahoma. I made the comparison to Gordon from Dodgeball when he got angry. He goes for 26 points, shoots 50% from three. You know what his other game in March was? It was the UTEP game when he was like the only good player for the full 40 minutes. Yeah. He had 19 points, six rebounds. He shot 40% from three in that game or 50% from three in that game as well. Like, there's a real possibility to me that Ochai just has a huge month and you know, you kind of look at it, and right now, to me, I view it as, like, you have three solidified pieces. Like, we don't know what's going to happen to Christian Brown. You mentioned some of his shooting struggles of late. But, like, to me, it's like Christian Brown, Ochai, Marcus. You know what you're getting from them? Everybody I else is a question No, mark. no, I don't put Christian in that group. I don't think he deserves to be in that group. Nothing against him. He has not been anywhere close to as consistent of a threat. And, and I'm not I don't mean scoring I don't I'm mean not either. Less. I'm not either. I'm saying all, at almost all times— you notice Ochai and Marcus's presence. Even if they're not knocking down shots, in the case of Ochai, if he's not knocking down shots, he's still shooting. He's keeping defenses honest. And Marcus, he's doing everything. Right, Christian, there are times when he can be out there for 10 minutes and you go, what's he done? You know? Grab a few rebounds. I mean, that's his probably biggest strength. Yeah, I was going to say, he's been really good. I, I just think, uh, like, if I'm going into this and, and wondering, okay, Kansas is going to have to grind some of these games out. They're going to have to grind out a game against Eastern Washington. Maybe they're going to have to grind out a second-round matchup against USC or Drake or Wichita State. The, the guys I'm looking at to say, okay, put the team on your back, and I have faith that you'll do it. Marcus won and Ochai won B. And it's not because I think Marcus is unequivocally better than Ochai. It's because worse comes to worse. Marco's going to take over and go drive downhill, get you a bucket, or get to the foul line. Do you know Christian Brown hasn't hit a three since, uh, what is that, February 23rd? <laughs> Five of his last 29. They, There's no, okay, will you say this? If Christian Brown continues to shoot like that, is this team making it out of the first weekend? Uh, yes, they can. I say no, because with Dave, you don't know what you you're going to get. You say Christian Brown has to hit shots in order for KU to make it out yeah. of the first weekend? I don't know about that. KU's won a lot of games. Well, I mean, he hasn't been hitting shots since they won 8-9. I know, but that was with Dave. With a healthy Dave, right? I reserve the right to to adjust my answer in a couple of days after I've seen KU play Eastern Washington. Because they're going to beat Eastern Washington. Say Yes. Maybe. Say, okay, I Maybe. agree. Something, just anything to confirm that you are with me there. USC, I, you know, I, USC can beat Kansas, but like to think that, like, oh, it's such a tough draw, I'm not with that. Christian Brown's got to hit shots in that game, though, right? Maybe. Say it. I won't say <laughs> it. Again, we've seen him sort of be off offensively, and it hasn't mattered. And if Dave looks great on Saturday, if Dave looks like normal Dave on Saturday, it's like, oh, okay, well, we've wasted a lot of time. We've wasted a lot of time talking about this. What if Dave is better than he was before? <laughs> Pump the brakes on that just a little 30 bit and there, 20, pal. book it. Wow, he doesn't have a 30-point game, does he? What did he have against UMKC that year? Remember he went like... Last year. I don't think he got 30, but I think he got... It was like 27, I think. Yeah, and I think he missed like one shot. Let's see. 28 and 7. Hmm. How many shots? 14. 28 on 14. 11 of 14. Good for him. Yeah, 14 point, fourteen shots this year. It's like, that's an average game. Well, do you put anything into Dave struggling against non-con teams this year? Because think about it. It's not just a stretch of it was early in the season. He struggled hey! against Tennessee. Struggled against UTEP early. 
It's it's the NCAA tournament, man. It's different. <laughs> it's just different. All right, we're going to find out. We're going to find out how these guys are built. We don't know with Dave. He's only played two NCAA tournament games. He started both of them. We forget Dave was the starter at the tail end of that 2019 season, right? With Doak injured. We don't know what Ochai is going to give you. He's got two NCAA tournament games, too. They're the same ones that Dave's played in. Marcus, as a senior, has seven. Seven, dude. It's crazy. Even him. I think I know what I'm going to get from Marcus, but we just haven't seen it to the point where you can say it with uh, a huge level of certainty. Let's see what Matt Tate is expecting to get from Marcus Garrett in the NCAA tournament. He's going to join us coming up next. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk. Get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's, you know, washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. KU landed in Indianapolis yesterday, at least, those players who traveled with the team. We know they're a little shorthanded. Hopefully, that won't be the case by Saturday. Let's talk about all of it with Matt Tate of the LJ World, KUSports.com, who joins us now on the show. Matt, do you find uh, tracking uh, the roster and who's in the travel party and what these protocols are like once they arrive in Indianapolis, do you find this just as confusing as everybody else? Because I was kind of hoping you could come on and... Uh, put it into layman's terms for us today. Yeah, I can probably do that. I mean, I think it's, you know, I think it's pretty clear, um, at least as of the time we are talking about it here. You know, you never know what could happen the rest of the week or uh, if, if anything changes. But, um, but you know, I mean, you, you look at what, what AU was facing last Friday. Uh, they had two guys who were in, COVID protocols because of uh, one reason or another that couldn't make the Big 12 tournament and be with the team in Kansas City. And at the time, I'm sure most Kansas fans kind of thought, okay, well, sucks to not have Dave and Inaruna and, you know, that, that that's, that's not ideal. But I think once everybody saw KU play Oklahoma, and I'm not even talking about outcome, I'm just saying on the court, in uniform, physically playing the game of basketball. I think it was probably a big sigh of relief, right? And it, it helped that they played well, but but it was probably, okay, that, that that's not bad. You know, those guys will be out maybe, but 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 they'll be back next week, and then and then we ride, you know, that kind of thing. And then Friday happens, and you wake up Friday morning, and, and not only is, uh, is there news, but it's actually confirmed as a positive test in the program for a player. And, uh, you know, that that turns pretty scary in a hurry because now you've got a couple of guys who were already out for one reason or another and you thought you made it through that and then another one piled up and, and you know, they got very lucky in the next few days after that because I, I could definitely have seen it going a different way and, and things continuing to pop up at that point. So 
I think Kansas fans should feel pretty pretty fortunate about where this team is at. Not just the fact that they're in Indianapolis, but also that they're, you know, probably getting Aruna and McCormick back before Saturday. And uh, at most, I think, at least as of now, going to be down one player. That's that's you take that this time of year and in this crazy season. I think that's uh, that's about as good as you could ask for. And I just saw earlier today that that Georgia Tech had a player. Um, ruled out for the tournament so you know that shows you that everybody's dealing with this and and we probably already knew that anyway so without knowing specifically if guys had COVID or if this is all due to contact tracing I know it's an impossible question to answer but for me it's the number one question heading into this weekend's games for KU is whether it was in Aruna or David McCormick or whoever that that third player is who tested positive what do you expect to get from those guys if they are able to play? Whether whether they're they're dealing with symptoms or just being away from the team for that amount of time, are you going into these games expecting them to play significant roles, or do you think they'll kind of be brought along slowly? Yeah, it's a good question, and and uh, you know, Self was asked that on Selection Sunday, right? And he he kind of said he didn't know. Um, did you ask him that? It was me. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for yeah, bringing that up. There you go. There you go. My pleasure. So so. Uh, you know, he kind of said, "Hey, this is the first time I'm I'm going through this too, so I don't really know." And and you know, I mean, that was Sunday, so obviously he'll have some time to figure it out, and he'll have some time to, to kind of plan and prepare and, and weigh the options and all that. But you know, since it is an impossible question, I'll take a stab at answering it anyway. I think I think you should expect full bore. I really do. I mean, I think that. Um, these are young dudes and, and I'm not trying to downplay whatever they're going through because it's very serious, obviously. But I think that, you know, if, if they're, let's put it this way. If they're not, if they're not recovered enough to be able to be in uniform and be available, then they're not going to play, you know, they, like they wouldn't even be, that wouldn't even be an option. So I think once you get them back, you realize, Hey, they're okay. You know, they, they can run up and down. They can do what we need them to do. They can do what we ask them to do. And, and at that point, I think your expectations have to stay where they've been all year for those guys. You know, you, you can understand how they might be winded or whatever. And yeah, maybe, maybe self and the coaching staff will try to figure out a way to, to try to give them a little bit more rest. And, and, you know, you can even be creative with that, uh, you know, sub them out right before a, ti- a TV timeout. And everybody's made plenty about how the TV timeouts are longer in the NCAA tournament anyway. So they get a little extra breather that way and, and those kinds of things. But I, I think in terms of expectations, and, and roles and things like that, I, I think you have to go into it expecting them to be what they are and to be what they've, you know, to be what they've been all season because anything short of that, and, and you're, you're probably just borrowing trouble. You're, you're probably asking for it to be harder than it needs to be. If, it, if you get out there and you find out that Dave McCormick, you know, just not the same, and winded and, and maybe just can't find it, then, then you adjust. But I think going into it, you have to you have to approach it the way you've approached it all season because, you know, that, that's your team. That's who you've got. And, and uh, you know, and hopefully they'll get an opportunity to practice a couple of times together uh, before Saturday. That's definitely the benefit of playing Saturday instead of Friday or, or instead of Thursday like a normal year. So that, that, that should be beneficial for them, and they should have a better understanding then. So, I don't think they need to worry about it today or tomorrow. I think by Friday they should have a pretty good idea of what they've got and how it looks, and 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 then they can kind of formulate a game plan off of that. But 
But I think, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody else about this, but I think the adrenaline as much as anything will carry these guys. You know, like I said, they're young dudes. Um, If they're back and able to practice and be in uniform, I I think the adrenaline of getting out there and competing for for a a championship, you know, starting your run in March Madness. I mean, that's what these guys live for. And so I think that uh, I think that that should carry them through any, you know, residual effects or any any, you know, lingering things that could be uh could be problematic from from what they've gone through over the last week or so so we'll see you know it's no guarantee and and obviously those are just my thoughts but 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 i kind of think that's you know talking to ochai the other day talking to marcus garrett those guys are obviously okay but you just got the sense that these guys are just really happy to be playing basketball really happy that the tournament's here and and there's going to be some adrenaline and, and excitement and juice that comes from that and so that that should it should be beneficial you know, before the season, Matt, Marcus Garrett was maybe sort of a sexy pick to to wind up on some All-American teams. Now, he wasn't that, but he's been really good down the stretch after starting kind of slow to start the year. He doesn't have a ton of NCAA tournament under his belt. I think it's just seven career games in the tournament. What are you expecting to see from him kind of in his last hurrah here? Yeah, I think he's, I mean, I, I think you said it perfectly. I think he's been great the last couple of weeks of the season and, and, um, you know, he, he, in my opinion, he kind of is and has been the last month, really, what, what I thought he would be all year. And, and, you know, anytime that's the leader on your program, in your program, anytime that's your main guy, your most experienced player, your, your face, all of those things, you would think that the team then would be a reflection of that. And, and you would think that with Marcus Garrett being that, that this would be a defensive minded team. They weren't all season. But they certainly were over the last nine games where they really, you know, locked in and, and turned it around. And, and he's been a big part of that. He's been a huge, a huge anchor in that regard. And, and I think that you've, start, you've started to see some of that 2019-20 swagger back. You know, I mean, it was a different team. He had a different role, different personnel entirely almost. But Marcus Garrett was, was an assassin on last year's team. And he had the luxury of doing that because he didn't have to carry so much of the weight um, on either end, really. He had plenty of help around him. This year, as they tried to figure it out and work their way through the season and you know had their ups and downs and all that, I, I think he did carry a lot of that burden, and, and, and that kept him from being who he is 100%. But I think that at this point, I mean, once they hit their stride and, and once they all committed to defense and, and, and locking in on that end and, and having that be their identity, I think that that not only made them a better team, but I think that freed up Marcus Garrett, and I think that's allowed him to to kind of go back to that player that we saw last year who, you know, he'll guard anybody. If he's in front of you, he's going to try to take the ball from you. He's swatting at it. You're, you're uncomfortable. He's pushing you out toward half court. Um, you know, all those things that, that, that make him a great defender. Um, and, and then I think you've started to see that rub off on guys too. I think the Juan Harris is, is, is doing his best Marcus Garrett impersonation most games when he's on the floor and, when they're on the floor together, they're pretty nasty, you know, above the three-point line, making opposing guards miserable and, and making teams struggle to get into their offense. So I think that he's been, you know, that that's probably been a lot of fun for him to go back to that. And it's obviously benefited the team because they've won eight of nine going into the tournament. So, you know, I, I think that he's everything you could ever ask for and, and he's right where you want him to be. And, uh, yeah, they're going to need him to pull it. Pull, they're going to need him to pull them through probably a couple of rounds. I mean, especially shorthanded. Um, they're going to need him to be great and, and to be that guy who sets the tone because a lot of these guys, you, you mentioned his lack of experience, but 
Uh, most of this roster has far less experience at this level and, and at this time of the season, especially since last year's tournament never got played. So I, I think they're going to need him to, to be that guy and, and just say, hey, here we go, hop on my back. And, you know, it doesn't mean he's got to score 25 a game and get seven steals or anything like that. But but from just a, 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 the standpoint of, hey, this is how we're going to play this and this is who we are, this is what we're going to do. And it's going to win, you know. I mean, I think he's got to set that tone, and and these guys have to follow that and, and believe in that. And and I think they will. There's no reason that they wouldn't. I mean, he's he's a terrific leader. He's a terrific player, and uh, you got to have guys like that to advance in March. So um, he, he's he's yeah. I think if this is his last draw, and you know, I'm still thinking there's a chance he could come back. I know he hasn't fully ruled it out, but if it is his last draw, though, um, yeah, I would expect him to give everything he's got and. and and uh, be as good as we've ever seen him, maybe. You're talking about even if Dave and Tristan are back, if Jalen is out, those are basically your best rebounders that you may either be without or may not be at 100%. Is that any sort of concern going into the tournament when you just look at rebounding and what you could be missing? And if so, like who do you look at to sort of pick up the slack? Yeah, there's no question that it is. And, 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 you know, we had it in our, in our paper today and, and on our site, and I was able to confirm that it, that it is Jalen who's, who's, who he did not travel with the team, uh, to Indianapolis on Monday. And so he'll be out for Saturday's game. And, and, you know, there's been some talk about maybe they're hopeful in a, in a like perfect world dream, everything falls in line scenario that he maybe could come back on Monday to their second game. But I think that's a, a pretty big long shot. And I, and and that's not coming from KU at all. I think the coaching staff is probably preparing for him to, to miss their first two games if they're able to advance. So, um, you know, that's a blow. There's no doubt about it. And, and you know, from the standpoint of what you were just talking about as the team's best rebounder and, and, and you know, biggest grinder probably, right? I mean, he, he's just that type of dude. And, and so um, to answer your question about who will have to step up, I think the answer has to be everybody. I, I don't think you can look at it as a simple case of, well, if he's out, then Tristan and Aruna needs to do more. He does need to do more, but it's not just him. Uh, you know, you heard Self on Selection Sunday mention Tyon Grant Foster and giving him the opportunity to make an impact in this in this tournament. So there's another guy. And and Tyon's been up and down. He hasn't had a ton of opportunities this year. But the one thing he is is he's long and he's athletic. And if he entered this tournament with that mindset, don't worry about scoring, man. Don't worry about don't worry about shooting the ball. I mean, we know what he's shot from three-point range this year, and it isn't pretty, so don't do that. When you're on the floor, if you get eight minutes or if you get 12 minutes or if you get 17 minutes, just go hit the glass and use your length and, and athleticism and, and help us out there. And, and I think there's no reason to think he couldn't do that. In fact, he could play a great and very important role just by focusing on that one thing and, and kind of taking taking some of the pressure off of him in, in other areas. You know, because if he's out there, they're going to have four other guys that, that can carry the load on offense and, and, you know, do some things defensively, too. So that's a guy that you could definitely look at. And, and, and Aruna is the same way. I mean, he's long and athletic as well. So those two guys, that should be their primary focus. If they get two minutes or they get 20 minutes, I mean, go get on the glass and help them out. And, and obviously, David McCormick's going to have to be that guy, too. I mean, you know, whether Jalen Wilson is your best rebounder or not, David McCormick should be. And, and has shown in stretches that he can be. And so he's got to attack the ball. He's got to be physical. He's got to be ferocious. I mean, that that's a big deal. But, you know, again, it's not just limited to those three guys either. I mean, I, I think those are the three that you would look at 
first and most and probably say, well, that makes the most sense if you're looking in terms of who picks up the slack. But, you know, I think there's there's every reason to, to expect that, that Christian Brown could do it and Ochai could do it and Marcus Garrett could do it. And, and uh, you know, those three are already pretty good rebounders and, and, and do get on the glass. But, you know, if they just focus as, you know, make that a, a real emphasis for them as well and, and don't take any plays off and don't think about not going to the glass sometimes. Just go every time. And, and uh, you know, that that can help too because those guys are all all good enough rebounders. And, and uh, you know, Bryce Thompson, throw him in there as well. I mean, he's he's undersized compared to most of those other guys, but uh, he'll mix it up. We've seen that. I mean, he's not afraid to go in there and jump with three guys, even if they're all bigger than him. So, He's a guy that could, you know, if he could steal you three or four rebounds a game too, every bit's going to help. So I, I think that, you know, I, I was thinking about that this morning, actually. Uh, they played really well against Oklahoma for the most part. I know they didn't have a great second half, but but they closed the game and, and they played an amazing first half. They played really well in that game without David McCormick, and that's a starter and a key piece. And, and so – that's what you have to look at in, 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 in this instance as well on Saturday. They're down a starter and a key piece. But they've proven already that they can do that. And, and they should have enough to, uh, to, to, to kind of pick up the slack and to feel confident, to feel like they are who they are. Um, McCormick was different because he was only averaging around 24 minutes a game, so they were used to playing half of most games without him anyway. You know, Jalen's up in the 30s more often. I think he's only averaging 29, but but he's played plenty of games of 30-plus minutes. And so that, that'll be a little different. That'll feel a little different. But it's a great time to have it because Dewan Harris is coming on. Bryce Thompson's healthy. Um, and if you can get anything out of Inaruna or uh, or Tyon Grant Foster, then, you know, I think you have enough. And, and, and then the potential exists, whether you get him back Monday as the extreme long shot or – or if you can win that game and, and you find a way to get to the Sweet 16 and then Jalen's back, the potential exists for a major lift at that point. You can get confidence. You can get a boost on the floor. I mean, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit there, but um, th- that would be potentially very beneficial down the road too. So it, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But, I, again, I think these guys are just so fired up to be in the tournament and to be playing at this time of year after what happened last year that, they're going to be ready to go and they're going to give it all they've got and and they should play loose. They should play with, with the free mind. They should play with nothing to lose because they're not one of the top seeds and they're not a favorite to go to the final four. So um, we'll see if that benefits them. We've seen sort of a lot of different versions of this when you think about guys at Kansas making their legacy or establishing themselves in March. You have the Cole Aldridge's who kind of were ancillary role players who came out and just had one big game, but that was enough to make you realize, okay, this guy's the real deal. You had a guy who we already knew was a good player, Jeff Withy, who comes out and sort of establishes himself as more than a good player. He's one of the elite defenders in the country. You had Malik Newman from a couple of years ago go from a sort of disappointing season to all of a sudden leading the team to a Final Four. When you just think about guys who have made their names in March... I don't know if you can necessarily call your shot in this regard, but who's somebody you think would be uh, the leading candidate to perhaps do that for this Kansas team? Man, that's a good question, but I think it has to be Ochai. I mean, I'm looking at what he did the other night against Oklahoma, scoring 14 points in a row. 26 was his career high. Um, You know, he got a little upset in that game. He got knocked to the floor, and, and I'm not saying it was necessarily dirty, but it was a little extra, and, and he, 
you know, he, he, he got a little upset by it and, and I think he responded in kind. And, and I think, um, you know, Oklahoma paid for that. So, um, I, I think that if that's the switch, if that was the moment where he flipped that switch, um, that's, that's absolutely what he should aspire to play like the rest of the way. I mean, um, because he's a terrific shooter, he takes good shots. Uh, they don't always go in, but nobody's shots always go in, you know? Um, so, so, I think the best thing you can do is, is continue to work and get the shots you want, and then you'll take your chances because he is a terrific shooter. His form's phenomenal. He doesn't force bad looks. I mean, you know, if, if it goes up, it's usually because he's got he's got his feet square and his shoulders square, and, and he and he's got some room and and he takes good shots. So you take your chances with that guy, and and you you like him looking to assert himself. You like him being aggressive, and he, and he did it at the free throw line. He did it you know, attacking the rim. And then of course he did it with his three point shot too. So I, I think that has to be the guy. I mean, you know, not only does he have the ability to do that, but he's also a veteran and, and uh, you know, he only, he only got to taste the NCAA tournament two years ago because they only played in two rounds and, and he was a freshman and, you know, it, it just was a barely scratching the surface type of experience. And then he didn't get to play last year. So, um, it, it's his time, you know, that's, that's, that's the bottom line. I mean, it's his time. And if you can't look to your juniors and your seniors to, to step up, then, then, you know, what good are they? And I think he knows that. I mean, I asked him that the other night on selection Sunday, if, if, if that was sort of the mindset that he's taking into this postseason. And, and, you know, I mean, he's a pretty even keel kid and he's pretty humble as well, but, I, but I got the sense that that is exactly where his mind is at. And, and, you know, I think he won't do anything out of character. I don't think he's going to try to, look to take over when it's not in the best interest of the team. I don't think he's going to look to go one on four um, just because he wants to get going. I mean, you know, I, I don't think that'll be the case at all um, because he's such a great teammate and, he, and he's so coachable. But, you know, that wasn't the case for Malik Newman either. I mean, that wasn't the case of, the case of a dude trying to go nuts and, and dominate and take over and make a name for himself. He just played within the offense and the offense ran like clockwork and he knocked down shots. So, um, you know, that, that could happen. I mean, I, it, it'd be an incredible run if, if Ochai can do what Malik did because that was, uh, that was prolonged over a few weeks and, and in some major, major big-time games. And, and, I mean, he was the hottest player in the country that year probably, so um, at least at that time. So, you know, I think that, that's definitely possible, and that's a good blueprint because that's exactly what Malik did. He, he let it come to him, and, and he took advantage of it when it did. And, and I think Ochai's perfectly positioned for that to happen all right matt before i let you go uh call your shot do you think kansas is playing next weekend i do man i really do i I think that number one you know there's so much talk about usc beating them i mean everyone's saying that everyone uh thinks that's a popular pick but um and it may be but usc was four and four down the stretch and, and they, you know they've got some work to do before they even get to kansas just like kansas has before they get to them so um i, I don't think you can worry too much about that and and even if you do um you know if that's the matchup then, then there's no reason kansas will be scared of that game i mean it, it'll be tough but you know it'll be tough for usc too so i i like their chances and 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 i think that uh you know, I, I think I think they uh, I think they have a run in them. I really do, and and I think if they can get Jalen back at some point, I think that would that would be sort of that spark that they need. And and then again, you're talking about playing with house money as a team, but you're also talking about playing with house money for him because he'd just be thrilled 
I mean, it's got to be miserable for that guy after missing all of last season with that injury to, to come back, have a huge role, be a big part of this team, and then have this happen right before the best time of the year. Uh, that's got to be mentally tough. So I think if they're able to get through two games and he's able to come back, I think that's going to be a lift both ways. And, and uh, it could be really, really big for Kansas. So uh, I do think they're playing next weekend. I, I think whether it's USC or not, I think they'll get by that game. Um, and, uh, and, and I, you know, I'll be completely honest. I think, I think there's a great chance they beat Iowa if Iowa gets there. I mean, Iowa's got some, some work to do down there as well. Uh, Oregon's another tough team that, that, that comes out of the Pac-12 and, and could, could make a little bit of noise down there and, and could be facing Kansas if both teams get to the Sweet 16. So, um, but I'd love to see it. I, I tell you what, I'd, I'd love to see, uh, I'd love to see Kansas, Iowa in the Sweet 16. I think that'd be a lot of fun to watch Bill Self. Uh, coach a team against Luca Garza and, and see what he can do. Um, and, and then to be completely honest, I'd love to see the rematch to KU Gonzaga because I think that this team would uh, would have a, a different approach, a different mindset, and, and they would definitely be the underdog. But they also wouldn't be scared because they played with those guys before. And and uh, you know, I think I think that's what they're gunning for right now. And I think every Kansas fan out there would be elated with Kansas losing to Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. I mean, nobody wants their team to lose of course but if you get to that point you've had a heck of a season especially the way this one kind of played out throughout the, the months of December, january and february you know so I, I i i'll be completely honest that's what i've got in my bracket i've got ku losing to gonzaga and i'll be even i'll tell you what too i'm i'm even more surprised by the fact that I, i've looked at a lot of like national writers and, and different websites that put their picks out there there are a lot of people picking Kansas to get to that Elite Eight game or at least to play Iowa in the Sweet 16. So um, pretty wild that that's, that that's where they're at. But, uh, but you know, they got to get there and they got to play great basketball to, to make that happen. Well, it helps to be hot at the right time. And we don't know what KU's going to look like, this version of them at least, but uh, it's hard to name any teams if if there is even one who, who played better down the stretch than Kansas did. So... I guess it makes sense in that regard. But, yeah, you would have told me that two months ago. I certainly wouldn't have believed you. Matt Tate, right. LJ World, KUSports.com. Man, it was a pleasure as always. Uh, safe travels up to Indy, and uh, hopefully we're talking about Sweet 16 matchup next week. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting up there and seeing what this whole thing looks like. Uh, it, it's going to be different for sure, but um, I think that'll be as much fun this year as anything, covering how different it is and how it looks and how it feels. And, and then the games will just be fun. So hope there's a few of them. I'm planning to be up there a while, but, you know, I'll be up there as long as they are. So we'll see what happens. But but thanks, man. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right, we're going to have Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joining us coming up here in a bit. I'm Nick Schwert. He's Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. I have a bracket in front of me. Essentially, at all times, I have over the past 48 hours, yet I only filled out one. I always do it like this. I fill out one immediately upon the bracket's release, no research, and then I don't touch it again until maybe Wednesday night. I can't do the constant tinkering. You overthink a lot when you're doing that. I go through, and I oftentimes am picking underdogs to win games that I know nothing about. Like, there's a few teams, right? Um, that's everybody though. That is like the, you know, if you work in a normal office, that's the office tradition. You come in on Monday and all of a sudden you're mm -hmm. the biggest UC Santa Barbara expert. Ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, but like, there are like, when I say there are teams that stand out to me, like St. Bonaventure, 
I know that they were hot to end the season. That's all I know. But I am now the world's foremost St. Bonaventure stand. Like, I am going to vouch for them. Adrian Wojnarowski's. Can... Uh, yeah, the Bonnies. Yeah. Uh, Connecticut, right? I know they were hot to end the season. Same thing with Georgia Tech. Loyola Chicago. Like, we all know about Porter Mosier and what they did a couple of years ago. So, there are a few teams I know a little bit about, but that's why I take some time over the first couple of days. We yesterday identified the teams that are capable of making the Final Four and the teams that are capable of winning it all based purely off statistical data. I think we had 16 teams that are capable of making the Final Four, and we only had three teams that were capable of winning the national championship, being Gonzaga, Virginia, and Houston, even though Virginia is dealing with their own issues. Let's look at the underdogs now, though. I want to take a look at the teams. An underdog is relative to what your expectations are, right? You can say a 14 seed's an underdog that you would like. You're not going to put them in the Final Four, whereas you may be willing to do that with a 6 seed or a 7 seed even. So let's start first with just first-round games. Underdogs that most people won't be picking, that aren't going to be expected to win, that you think have a chance of winning their first game. And let's do this region by region. So let's start in the West region, the one that KU's in with Gonzaga and Iowa. Is there anybody who stands out above the rest in terms of underdogs that you're interested in? Yeah, so as far as the first round goes, there's a couple of the double-digit seeds. Um, I really like Ohio, and I don't know if that's because I like Ohio or if it's just because I am super low on where Virginia is, given everything they're dealing with with the COVID pause, and they also haven't really been playing that well at the end of the season either. And I think it kind of works out like, I, I don't know, maybe maybe this isn't truth, but it feels like for the most part, a lot of those teams who pull the upsets in those first round, like you look at one guy, and again, it's not always true, but like there's always that one star. You know, like you think of John Morant on mm-hmm. uh, Murray State a couple years ago, and they have that Jason Preston kid who looks like the fourth ball brother for Ohio. <laughs> He's projected to be an NBA draft pick and just like that crazy story. They almost beat Illinois earlier this year, and he went off in that game for like 30 and 10. A guy who was averaging like two points per game his like junior year of high school and then just kind of blew up on the AAU circuit, got a scholarship to Ohio. He was like working at, I think he was like writing NBA pieces for Fansided because he thought his career was going to be in journalism. And now he's like legitimately going to be a drafted prospect. So that one works out to me. And I also think it's like, you know, if, if you want an underdog, it's what's their path beyond the first round? Not saying that, again, they'd be a Final Four team, but I don't think the winner of Creighton-UCSB, because that could go either way too, That'd be a winnable game, too, for Ohio. So I I think it'd be very possible to get back to the Sweet 16, which is where they were when they were in the tournament last time. Yeah, I I could say that, but it's not because I like Ohio. It's simply because the same thing that you just said. I don't really think Virginia's in a good place. For example, if Purdue was their four seed, I would be picking Purdue. If Florida State was their four seed, I'd be picking Florida State. But because it's Virginia, that's, that's almost an easy one for me. In this region specifically, there are more teams I don't like than teams I like. It's easier for me to pick a team to just bet against than it is for me to pick an underdog to bet on. The same thing you're saying about Virginia for completely different reasons. I kind of wonder about Creighton, and they're playing UC Santa Barbara, who I think I heard earlier today has a grand total of one NCAA tournament win all time. So maybe it wouldn't be the best idea to bet on the outlier, bet on number two. But this is a team that's lost one game in 2021. Now, yes, they play in the Big West, so it may not be that impressive, but their statistical profile is pretty interesting. They're one of the most experienced teams in college basketball. And experience, to me, 
is something that while it's not going to win you the national title, that can be the difference in a round one or a round two game. Like, once we get to the final four, give me the most talented team. I don't care that this team has four seniors and a junior in their starting lineup. If the other team has a bunch of freshmen and they're all going to be in the NBA next year, give me the team with the NBA players. But the first round, UC Santa Barbara is an experienced bunch. They don't make a lot of mistakes offensively. They avoid turnovers. They get easy shots inside. They're a team that's been playing together for a while now. Against a Creighton team, tell me how much this factors into it for you. Like, we know what happened with McDermott and his comments about come back to the plantation with me after they lost a game. Uh, He got suspended. Obviously rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, including players on his team. Aside from that, Creighton was not playing good basketball late. They weren't. This is a team that had to shut down uh, for a couple of weeks there at the end of non-com play due to COVID issues. I like Creighton, but they're not the team I thought they were going to be before the season when we thought they were a perennial top 10 team. Um, but I think it's more about just not liking them than it is really liking UC Santa Barbara. I would take a team that's experienced and together that doesn't make mistakes over a team that not only wasn't playing well to end the season. I mean, Derek, they got waxed. They got waxed by a Georgetown team that was not going to make the tournament had they not won the Big East tournament. I, I just, there's a lot not to like about Creighton right now. Um, the other team that I, I would kind of point to, and I actually have them in the Sweet 16, is Drake. Um, and I know that might be sacrilegious going through KU, but I, I'm kind of taking a risk here. Uh, they were 19-1 and before their leading scorer and rebounder. I think his name's like Daquan Hemphill. Um, he broke his foot on February 10th. From that point, they went 6-3, and three, which isn't terrible. I mean, some of those games, two of their losses were Loyola Chicago, who we know how good they are. Before that, they were 19-1. and one. They haven't confirmed he's going to be back, but they said he is on pace to be back, which kind of, to me, is like the hint that he's going to be back. And they become an even better team when he's in the lineup. They were already a good team to begin with. And what's interesting to me about Drake, really good on offense. They're 19th in the country offensively. Um, they don't turn the ball over. They shoot it well from two. They shoot it well from three. They play it kind of a slow pace so they can kind of grind you out against maybe a more talented team like they could face in the first round with USC. Well, I mean, they, they got to get through Wichita State first. But to your point, yeah, I think Drake's a better team than Wichita State. Drake doesn't have a lot of great wins, but they do have a win over Loyola Chicago. And you and I could sit here and say, well, who's better, Loyola Chicago or USC? You can make a case that Loyola Chicago is a better team. Mm-hmm. So if you can beat Loyola, you can beat USC. If you can beat USC, could you beat Kansas? You a shorthanded Kansas? Kansas that's, Sweet 16. Right, here I'll we go. Jimmy Dodd. Well, yeah, bud. But I, I, I'm with you. They're, uh, once again, experienced team. They don't turn the ball over. They're 11th in the country in avoiding turnovers. One thing that I like is experienced guards. Experienced guards, mistake-free guard play in the NCAA tournament is going to win you games. So I think all three of those, really, with the 11, 12, 13, are, are viable. Can I, I, any of them make it to the second weekend? If you had to pick one team, which one? Drake, I have Ohio, Drake. or yeah. U, UCSB? But I think all of them, because I think very re- there's a very real chance you get a 12-13 matchup here between UCSB and Ohio, and at that point, it's guaranteed one of them's into the second weekend. And like I said, I think it's a very real possibility that Drake could beat USC, could beat Kansas if Kansas were to get through Eastern Washington. So... I think there's a chance all three could, but if I had to pick one, even though I have Drake in my Sweet 16 bracket, 
just if you're playing the odds, you would probably go with either UCSB or Ohio because of the fact that there is that chance that you get the 12-13 matchup. Yeah, it's one extra game that you have to play, and I would just bet against the numbers at that point to win two games instead of three. I would take, I would probably take UCSB. I just think their profile is better, and Creighton wasn't playing good ball to end the season. They've got things off the court that you're worrying about mm-hmm. too. So One thing that's interesting about this bracket as a whole, and it goes for those three teams, although UCSB a little less, most of the teams with the exception of like Kansas – they're offense-based, right? Like, Gonzaga's really good at both, but they're better offense than they are defense. You go down the line, that's the case for a lot of these schools, um, especially for, like, Ohio and Drake. UCSB is is a lot more balanced than those other two. All right, let's move on to the East region. This is actually my favorite region in terms of Direction? potential oh. upsets. Yeah, I do love, um, just generally speaking, okay. East, but... I've got about four teams circled here that I think could make a, a legitimate run, including a couple teams that I wouldn't be shocked to actually represent the East region in the Final Four. I would start, if we're just going to go down the list here, people really love LSU. Mm-hmm. They've got Cameron Thomas, who was one of the best individual talents. they got three dudes. In, the, in, in college basketball. But the two hottest teams... In this region. Actually, I would say the three hottest teams. And I would say these three teams over the past month have looked like legitimate top 15 teams in the country. There's three of them. LSU ain't one of them. St. Bonaventure, BYU, and Connecticut. I think all three of those teams have a chance not just to make it to the second weekend, but if you get to the second weekend, I wouldn't be shocked, especially in the case of Connecticut and BYU with their path. Okay, I'm sorry. What what month are we in? We're in March. I think you mean January, February, Izzo? Michigan State? No. Getting by BYU? I'm not buying it. No? No, no, no. Too many games. Again, the playing mm. game. That's an extra game. I know VCU hasn't, did it. But. Hasn't somebody who's won a playing game uh, won at least their first round game every year in the tournament? Is that true? I think it is. At least that, that first game. So, I, I don't know. Maybe there's something to be said about momentum. Maybe it's just kind of happenstance and it'll come to an end. Um, you know, I, I think, okay, if we're talking like long-term sleeper, like Colorado, they're favored in their first game. They're a five seed. But... It's interesting to me. I'm not picking Colorado to go far. I have them in the second round. But why is everybody so low on Colorado? And this includes, I'm, I'm kind of just asking this almost rhetorically. Like, you look at their profile, they're 17th in offense, they're 29th in defense. They survived that national title walkthrough thing I had yesterday until we got to the head coaching part of it because Tad Boyle has never made the second weekend. Maybe that's what it is. But, like, they shoot the ball well. They don't turn it over. They are second in the country in free throw percentage. They're 82%. So, you feel confident they're going to hit free throws in a close game at the end. Um, they force turnovers at a pretty solid rate at the other end. They rebound on both ends of the basketball. They prevent uh, a lot of great looks inside. They had a lot of success against a good team in USC. Like You look at their, their profile, and if you just blinded out the name Colorado or blinded out the idea that their coach has never been to the Sweet 16 or better, you would almost look at the team and say, hey, maybe they're a sleeper, but nobody is talking about them. No, I don't like Colorado at all. They've lost too many games against opponents they shouldn't be losing to. Like, look at their record down the stretch. You lose to Oregon State. Uh, they have a loss to Cal in there. I'm trying to think of who else they dropped games to um, over the really the past month and a half. Uh, Utah, they had a loss to. I don't like them. I don't like them. I, they're the type of team that could beat teams better than them, but they're also capable of losing to Georgetown. You know who the deep sleeper is in this? It's Abilene Christian, not to make a deep run like some of those Just other Just to teams. win a first game. Win a first game. 
and I'm high on Texas. I've said this before. It almost feels like to me they are shock of smart proof with that roster. But there is this idea in the back of my mind that they are going to lose this first game to Abilene Christian. And the reason why Abilene Christian is really good defensively. They're 30th in the country on Ken Palm and adjusted defensive efficiency. First in the country in forcing turnovers. They're 12th in the country in effective field goal percentage defense. They limit your two-point shots. They limit your three-point shots. They get a ton of steals. They're going to get easy buckets the other way. Oh, and on the offensive side of things, even though they're not like that good offensively, they at least get the easy buckets off transition, and they shoot threes well. They shoot 38% from three in addition to all those numbers defensively. So there is very much a world to me where Abilene Christian pulled off uh, this upset. I'm going to tell you what right now. Um I'm putting either Connecticut or BYU in the Final Four. Mm. Um, they're going to well, play. Each, I'm going to have them playing each other in the Sweet 16, and whichever one of those teams I have winning in the Sweet 16, I'm going to have them going on to the Final Four because those are the two hottest teams in this region. I think you could throw St. Bonaventure in that in that mix as well. But Connecticut specifically, mm-hmm. like you can you can explain away BYU and say that schedule is just not good enough to put them in there. Connecticut though, they don't have a ton of marquee wins. They did beat Georgetown by 16 earlier this month, but they have two losses over the last month, an eight-point loss to Villanova and a three-point loss to Creighton in the Big East tournament. But some of these wins, they're just killing teams. They beat DePaul by 34. They beat Georgetown by 16. They beat Seton Hall by 11. They beat Marquette by 18. They beat Georgetown by 13. They beat Providence by 12. Like They're not getting into coin flip games and barely eking out wins. They're killing everybody they play, and their only two losses in the last month to Villanova, and to Creighton, who are both top 25 teams in the country. Connecticut is one of the hottest teams in the nation, yet they're a seven seed. That's why I consider them to be a sleeper, because it wouldn't shock me yeah, if they I wind mean, up in the final I four. think part of it, too, is you just see Connecticut lower seed. Uh-oh, that could be dangerous for others. Well, and to your BYU point, too, if Abilene Christian beats Texas, Abilene Christian almost beat Texas Tech. They played Arkansas close, so uh, I, I think BYU is good. They're another team that if you look at kind of the, the statistical profile – BYU is right there. And um, with James Booknight for UConn, yeah, I think he could kind of lead them that way. The St. Bonaventure one's interesting to me because Michigan, without Isaiah Livers, I think that makes it a complete wild card, but still all year they've just been so good on both ends of the court. So I I don't know how that'll go. All right, let's go to the South region now. Uh, I don't really love this region in in terms of upsets. I don't love this region in general. This is the toughest one. For me to put my finger on, but I'm going to start right there up at the top going with like, this is what I'm looking for, for potential upset candidates is teams who are really cold right now or teams who are really hot right now. If you're cold lately, if you're cold over the last month or two, I'm not going to expect you to flip a switch in March, vice versa. If you have been playing your best ball and sort of peaking heading into the postseason, you're going to be the type of team I could see winning an extra game or two more than most people are expecting. North Carolina fits that bill to a T. They're really hot. They could be facing a somewhat cold team, at least relative to what they were doing early in the season, Baylor, in the second round. That's why I start with North Carolina. Yeah, I like that. I actually yesterday switched my pick from Wisconsin to North Carolina after I remembered the Roy Williams stat. He's never lost in the first round. So if he can get by that again, then all of a sudden, now you do have a little momentum. You've got a really talented team. The only thing that scares me there is Baylor's guards are obviously killers, and North Carolina, all their guards are like freshmen. So that could be problematic. But North Carolina would have a big advantage down low. They could kind of throw numbers at them with their big man. And that at that point, I guess you're just kind of hoping that Baylor has a bad shooting day. So I, I kind of like that one. Um, 
The other team that I would look at, though, is on that same top half of that bracket. It's Winthrop. And I, I think this is the same thing with Ohio. Now, Winthrop is actually good. They only lost, what, one game all year? And they have, like, a, a pretty fast-paced, explosive offense. They've got a big man who um, is really good that should be able to go toe-to-toe with some of these Power 5-level big men. But it's, it's to me, more about Villanova, what Villanova isn't doing right now with Colin Gillespie injured, Justin Moore is injured, and they've kind of fallen off, so to speak. And already to begin with, it wasn't one of the better Villanova teams we've seen. They were already trending to like a three seed before the injuries. So I I would kind of look at that, um, and I think there could be some mess in the top half of this bracket. Like if North Carolina, maybe they could upset Baylor. Maybe Winthrop could make a Sweet 16. Maybe Purdue could make it to the Elite Eight or further. Yeah, like that's not somebody I would consider to be a dark. If you're a top, no, four Purdue's seed, not. No, no, no. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, like Texas Tech, it would surprise me to see Texas Tech make it to the Elite Eight or the Final Four. Would it though, given their side of the bracket? I that's, mean, that's I, I the get only what you're thing. Saying. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm saying based off the way they played this year, right? But given their side of the bracket, like, how comfortable do you feel with like any that, of these? That top bottom seeds? side, dude. Like, I, I don't envision any of these teams. Like, I feel like this is just setting up for one of those. Because when sometimes there's, like, years where it's like, I don't like any of these teams. And then it's like, oh, Butler won the region. That's yeah, exactly. why, you know? Like, that's the thing. I, I circled Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's played, like, three games in the past <laughs> month. And I think they've only had one win. Like, one win in the last four weeks. Yet, I circled them and go, well, I mean, Florida's been cold as of late. Ohio State, I never really bought into. Arkansas, is Arkansas going to the, I mean, maybe. Maybe the must bus is going to the Final Four. Colgate. Then number nine in the net. That would be validation for the net, the validation they've been searching for. Colgate, only one loss on the season. So, yeah, you're right. There's just not a team that really inspires a ton of confidence. That's why I think you could make a case for basically anybody that you wanted to, and all you have to rely upon is the fact that nobody else is really that hot. Okay, let's get to the final one, because I think there's some interesting candidates in this region as well, the Midwest region. Loyola-Chicago and Georgia Tech is one of the most interesting matchups of the first round, because you've got Loyola-Chicago, a analytics darling. Ken Palm has them as the ninth-ranked team in the country. They've been up there seemingly all season long, yet because of their lack of impressive wins and their lack of impressive opponents, they get the eighth seed. Meanwhile, you've got Georgia Tech, who was one of the hottest teams in the country. Now you wonder how much that matters in the ACC that wasn't great this year and they didn't get a ton of great wins down the stretch. But I want to say they finished the year 8-0, right? They won eight in a row. To finish the season, even if you're not doing it against quality opponents, to not slip up at any point, that tells me that you're a team that at the very least is close to your ceiling, even if you're not doing it against, you know, like what Illinois and Michigan and some of these Big Ten teams had to do down the stretch. So that team wins that game. I want to say you could go on a run, but then you face another team that you would say not just the hottest team right now. They've been one of the best teams all year long in Illinois. So maybe it's sort of a moot point with whoever wins that game. Yeah, uh, but Sister Jean got the clear. She will be in attendance, so uh, I don't know if that changes your pick at all. Well, I haven't even made a pick yet. Oh. But it doesn't. I don't think either one of them are capable of beating Illinois. because Number Illinois one defense in the country? Illinois is, really, Illinois is really hot, too, right now, and also has two of the top 15 players in the nation. So that one, not so much. The one that I really love, that I really love in this region, is Liberty. And Liberty, to me, has the makings of being a team. And I love this, too, because not only is it a team that I like, it's a team that is playing somebody that everybody else likes. 
a lot of people are putting Oklahoma State in the Final Four, which tells me Oklahoma State going to lose early. And what better team to pull off an upset than Liberty, who takes more threes than anybody in the field. Nobody shoots more threes than Liberty, and they're knocking them down at a 39% clip. That ranks 10th in the nation. You know what else they do at an elite level? They don't turn the ball over. They're 19th in the country in avoiding turnovers on offense. They're a great shooting team. They don't turn the ball over. Defense is a bit of an issue, but the one thing they do really well defensively is defensive rebound, which I would argue is the most important defensive statistic. This is an interesting team going up against a very young team in Oklahoma State that for the longest time we said was Cade Cunningham and a bunch of dudes. They're hot late. I'm not going to take that away from them. They still scare me in terms of, I don't know if I want to put a ton of confidence behind the pokes. I think Liberty could win that first game. And from there, you've got Tennessee, who's injury plagued. They've hit a bit of a rough stretch to end the season. Or Oregon State, who wouldn't have even been in the tournament had they not made their way through the Pac-12 tournament. That little, that two-game tournament, right? We talk about Bill Self saying you got to win your two-game tournament. That's a really weak one, in my opinion. And I think Liberty could easily come out on the, on the right end of that. I would not be surprised if, I'm not picking it, but if Syracuse made an Elite Eight run, I don't like the bottom half of this bracket. Uh, I don't know. West Virginia makes shots, but they're bad on defense. Uh, Houston, I don't really trust Houston. Like I don't think Syracuse is that good, but 2-3 uh, zone in the NCAA tournament, we've seen it before. Um, so I wouldn't be that surprised if they went on a Sweet 16 Elite Eight run. Give me your favorite, though, of all the, the teams that we have mentioned. Which well, is it's actually favorite? a team I forgot to mention in the West. I have Oregon in the Elite Eight. Okay. They're, I think, 13-1. They only have one loss since their point guard came back. Hot right now. They've got a true NBA pro, probably first-round pick, and Chris Duarte, or maybe it's Thomas Duarte, one of the two, uh, who was just named an All-American. I I don't know. Iowa is really good. But if they can get by Iowa, I like their Sweet 16 draw, and then you're probably cut off from there. I like Connecticut in terms of long-term, like teams I could see cutting down nets. I like Liberty in terms of a team just to make the second weekend. So I'm going Liberty, UConn, and then uh, give me give me St. Bonaventure and BYU. I didn't know I could pick four. Third and fourth. I ranked them, though. I didn't pick four. I ranked them. I gave them in order. So um, broke it down in specifics. All right. Let's talk to Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. Let's see if he has any good upset picks for us. We'll do that coming up next. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. All right, so Derek and I just gave you some of our favorite upsets for the NCAA tournament. Let's find out if our next guest has any good ones for us. Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joins us now on the show. Kevin, whether you're looking at teams just to win a first-round matchup or advance into the second or even third weekends of the tournament, who are the upset picks that stand out in your mind? You know, the, maybe the most obvious one that just hits you over the head the second you look at the bracket is Winthrop over Villanova. Uh, I think when you look at, you know, what Winthrop has, the kind of team they are, they're, they're kind of an awkward matchup. They've got like a six foot seven point forward. They've got a, a big man who is a, a Tennessee bounce back who's, you know, six foot nine, 275 pounds. And, Villanova doesn't have much size, and, and when you take it even you know a step further, Villanova hasn't been the same team obviously since the Colin Gillespie injury. And so, uh, I think when you look at that one, it, it's an interesting combination of, of kind of matchups as well as Villanova not playing well here recently. The other one is you know a, another Big East team. When you look at, at Creighton and UC Santa Barbara, I think is 
is one. And I, I've seen, you know, several people, I think Seth Davis might have even said it on our CBS, you know, broadcast that he was thinking UCSB into the Sweet 16. So he had him going even uh, even beyond that. But I think when you when you look at the way that Creighton's playing, the fact that Creighton just took a 25-point loss to Georgetown, that got the Hoyas into the uh, into the NCAA tournament in the first place, and and now their reward for that is a is a pretty good UC Santa Barbara team. I don't necessarily love the matchups in that one as much as the Villanova one, but other than that, I, I think that's that's one that kind of jumps off the page. And then I think the other one that's interesting is a Utah State team that that kind of barely made the tournament. But has an NBA caliber big man in Nemius Queda and blocks a ton of shots against the Texas Tech team that tries to get so many of their points inside the arc. You know, if they're able to get Queda into foul trouble, you know, it might be that we're we're looking at this a week from now and saying, man, that was silly. Texas Tech rolled. But if not, you know, Queda is the type of guy that can can really put a lid on the rim for a tech team that doesn't really play any regulars, you know, who are taller than six foot seven. Tech was the team that we were just sort of talking about. And it's to me less about them and the confidence they've inspired over the last month or so. And more so about, I don't know what to do with the South because for the longest time it was Gonzaga and Baylor versus the field. But as the tournament is now here and we see the way it's panned out, I don't know what to think about Baylor. And if I can't look at Baylor with confidence and say they're coming out of the South, it becomes really difficult for me to pinpoint the team that I like from that region. Yeah, it's it's really tough with Baylor because, you know, and it's funny because I've gotten a lot of, a lot of questions and a lot of heat for even talking about Baylor's defense. You know, you get... You get Baylor's fans who who come on and they're like, "Well, we're just fine." You know, you're just looking for something negative about our team. You know, you get other people who say, you know, pointing out the fact that Baylor's defense hasn't been the same since the COVID pause. Well, how long are they going to get to use that excuse? And, and it's not an excuse to say that, hey, before the break, here are the team's numbers, and after the break, here are the team's numbers, and before the break. Baylor's defense was sixth, I guess the equivalent now of fifth in the nation in points per possession that they allowed per game. When you looked at the average points per possession they allowed, it, it was it would have been the equivalent of the fifth best defense just in raw points per possession. When you look at them coming back, Nick, it's something like 317. So we're not looking at you know, a small change or somebody asked me the other day, well, could a ramp up and competition have caught? No, you're, you're talking about literally more of a, th- more than a 300 spot difference. And, and one of the problems has been that they've had kind of different defensive problems depending on the game, right? Like against Kansas, you know, the rotations weren't necessarily there and they've had some issues with that. And Kansas was able to get to the ramp pretty well. When you looked at Oklahoma state, you know, the guards were trying to force play offensively, and Oklahoma State really hit back at them in transition because, you know, typically transition is a yo-yo thing, right? Your guard attacks the rim. If that happens, somebody else needs to get back. And so you kind of have to have that connectivity and somebody paying attention and saying, okay, you know, Davion Mitchell just went to the rim. It's my job then to take over for Mitchell's defensive responsibilities because he's not going to be able to 
to outrun everybody to get back and and that wasn't there and, and so with some practices could Baylor fix its defense uh, of course you look at the defensive players that they have you know with with Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler and, and Mark Vidal all those guys are among the top five or ten defenders in the Big 12 and yet at the same time so many of their issues aren't problems with individual players it's more that they just don't they aren't they don't have that sharpness and and that chemistry that you saw you know in in early february or or late january and so baylor is a team that would terrify me to bet on that team to go to the final four right now yeah i just want nothing to do with betting on that region i'll be honest i have purdue in and i don't know if it's if it's specific to this year and the weird circumstances not just with how the season's been, but how the tournament is going to be and you know, testing protocols and and having to stay in Indianapolis for three weeks potentially. But I'm just seeming – I'm favoring teams that are coming in hot more than maybe I have in other years. And that's why I just looked at Purdue and I said, okay, well, Baylor's not trending in the right way. Ohio State I never really bought into. Arkansas maybe, but kind of the same thing. I never really bought into them. Purdue played in the best conference, was – Kind of hot there to end the season. That's what I look at. I'm doing it all over the place. I did it with, I have Illinois in the Final Four because I think they're the, one of the hottest teams in, in basketball. I have Connecticut, Kevin. I have Connecticut in the Final Four because I think they're red hot right now. Do you think that matters this year? Do you think it matters any year about peaking at the right time or is that something we only say before the tournament begins? You know, I, I, I think it matters. I, I think it's really interesting, though, and to your point, you know, I, I had a Maryland fan message me today and say that he felt good about Maryland's chances if the right Maryland team showed up. And, you know, I, I just wanted to respond back and, and say, well, that's that's the entire field pretty much. You know, with the exception of, of Gonzaga or, or, or a few different teams, you know, so many teams have had that, have put that out into the universe this year, I guess you would say, where if they're on, they can play with anybody. And if they're not, they can lose to just about anybody. I think you've seen that out of Kansas this year. You know, in terms of when they've played well and when the defense has been on it and everything else, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Kansas plays at a top 10 level when when that's the case. And yet, when you look at, you know, how Kansas has been at certain points, and sometimes, you know, they've been at different points in the same game, like when you look at the UTEP game, you know, when they aren't on, when the when the defense isn't at the same level, when they aren't making shots, you know, Kansas is a team that could lose really early. And I think even when you look at top teams like Baylor, like it would not shock me if Baylor got knocked out in the round of 32 by North Carolina at, at all, because I think that's a tough matchup with, with Baylor not really having the guys down low with North Carolina just being, you know, gigantic down there. And if the guards aren't playing the the kind of defense that they were earlier in the year, if they're just even at 75% of that, that could be a really troubling matchup. And so you look at at what you're talking about, yeah, UConn could be a really tough matchup for people depending on, you know, who all shows up and and how well they play. Purdue is a really, really tough team. And I I think they got quite a bit back – when, when some of their shooting returned from injury and they play something, Nick, like five freshmen, you know, fairly extensively. And those guys have, have kind of grown over the course of the season. And so Purdue isn't the same team today that they were two months ago. And so 
when you look at, at a team like that, that's kind of, you know, gained some, uh, gained some momentum and, and you look at the reasons for that, you know, guys coming back from injury, young players developing, et cetera. I think that is a, a good reason to look at somebody and say, Hey, they're, they, they have a chance to, to potentially go a long way. The interesting thing to me will just be, you know, with, with the gym set up with, you know, limited fans and everything else who makes shots. And I think that's, that's one of the wilder things about trying to predict this year's tournament is with a couple exceptions, you're just not confident in somebody being able to knock down shots consistently. To that point about teams being hot, Oklahoma state as hot as they come with how they finished the season yet, uh, Kind of feel like they got slighted a little bit. Seemed like they were locked for a three seed. They wind up on the four line. And they get kind of a tough matchup with a Liberty team who likes to shoot a lot of threes and they hit a lot of threes. What do you think about Oklahoma State's draw and how you feel about them just in terms of confidence entering the tournament? I love Oklahoma State overall, but like you said, it was a really, really tough draw. You know, it's... When you look at Liberty, the other thing that, that really stands out, not only are they one of the elite shooting teams in the nation, they also are outstanding at not letting teams get into transition. And obviously Oklahoma State, you know, butter is a pretty significant portion of its bread out there in transition. You know, you can look at two of their games when you look at the Kansas game and the Baylor game and basically say how many points Oklahoma State was able to get in transition were things that swung those games the Cowboys' way. And so that that's another thing that, that you look at it and say, okay, that's that's one of those matchups that doesn't make you feel totally comfortable. Overall, I, I really like the Cowboys. I think when you look at the way Avery Anderson's come along, Boone, the fact that they have Likely back now, and obviously Kate Cunningham's playing at an incredibly high level and and pretty much every time he trots on the court, Oklahoma State's going to have the best or at least most talented player on the court. And so Oklahoma State is playing like a Final Four team right now. I just wonder a little bit, you know, if, hey, if they come out at 70% or, or aren't at their best against Liberty, we, we could be talking about this as a team that loses in the first round, too. I did think they got a little bit hosed on the seeding thing. And, and on the other end of the spectrum, Nick, I, I thought, it was really tough for me, at least, to make an argument for West Virginia being as high a seed as it was. Yeah, that was a little bit surprising. Like, you could have easily flip-flopped Oklahoma State and West Virginia and nobody would have noticed. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, West Virginia being over Kansas, right? Because the two teams split their uh, split their season series. You know, the committee doesn't really look at you know, they don't look at the recency thing anymore. You know, you used to see the stat of how somebody did in their last 10 games, and that was something they looked at. They don't do that anymore, but Kansas had won eight of nine uh, with the only loss obviously coming in overtime in Austin. And, and Kansas played and beat tougher teams in, in non-conference play. And so when you – and, you know, the fact that Kansas finished ahead of West Virginia in the Big 12. And so – you know, I, I thought Oklahoma State, with the way they're playing, you know, certainly could have flipped there, and, and that would have also solved the problem of West Virginia getting a seed ahead of ahead of Kansas, and that was a little bit surprising to me as well, just based on the fact that I'm not sure there's really an argument, you know, looking at it where you can say, okay, this is this is why West Virginia is ranked higher than Kansas is. 
Speaking of Kansas, Eastern Washington, first round, then the winner of, well, I guess we have to play see a playing game on Thursday, or I guess, yeah, Thursday between uh, Wichita State and Drake and then USC. Overall, this first weekend of potential matchups for KU, including this first-round matchup, what do you think of the Jayhawks' draw? Um, and how do you think their COVID issues sort of affect what you're expecting to see? Yeah, I mean, you look at the best version of this Kansas team, I, I think, as we've discussed all year, involves Jalen Wilson playing at a star level. And so with, with Wilson, you know, not being there, that that's something that really hurts them and, and could really hurt them if they wind up matching up against USC. I, I think that that's one of the areas where Kansas would, would potentially really struggle is – you know, I don't know how well David McCormick would do against Evan Mobley, who's one of the best defensive big men in the in the country. And so, you know, you look at the opportunity for for Wilson to not only stretch the floor with the shooting, but also to sneak in and hit the offensive glass like he's done so many times over the course of the year while Mobley is is trying to, to stop McCormick. I, I think that he could have played a very big role in that if if in fact he does miss that game. Against Eastern Washington, a lot is going to depend on David McCormick and not necessarily offensively. When you look at what Eastern uh, Eastern Washington likes to do, you know they're they're a team that that likes to attack you by by posting up and getting seals and things like that. Basically, a lot of your work is done before the ball is is even passed in, and, and so I, I think that. You know, asking McCormick after he hasn't played for for more than a week to come in and, and be at his best, you know, could could be could be kind of tough. And on the on the other hand, if if he can wall up and do his work early, especially defensively on, on Tanner Groves, you know, this could be the sort of thing where where Kansas doesn't necessarily have as nightmarish a matchup in that first round as as some teams certainly do. If McCormick is is closer to a hundred percent and, and doing the things that we saw him do over the last, you know, couple months, it, it might just be that, Hey, Eastern Washington's best player is a big man in Kansas has a better big man than Eastern Washington does. And it might be, might be the sort of thing where the Jayhawks roll, but if he, if he isn't on his game, if he's, you know, lackadaisical about getting back, if he's, you know, not playing with the kind of intensity that, that we would expect, then that's where you know you're looking at the the type of game that uh, that could scare Kansas a little bit. He's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work at 247sports.com. Kevin, thank you for the time, man. Thanks a lot, man. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact D Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's D Johnson at gpmnow.com. Sister Jean is headed to Indianapolis. She basically had to beg the NCAA to let her because she's 101. She is high risk, and the NCAA doesn't want that sort of headline on their hands. But She's going, and she just gave a quote. Uh, she had a Zoom. The mm. second they announced that Sister Jean was going to be able to go, she hops on a Zoom call. Listen to this quote. Sister Jean, quote, I filled out my bracket. I may change it before I go down there. I don't see Kentucky any place. <laughs> I see a few names. How about that? Do you think that Sister was... Sister Jean taking 
just I was gonna say that has to be she knows. Uncalled that was a for troll job, right? Shots at Kentucky, yeah. Oh, she's hundred and one, dude. Good for her. I don't know. I'm saying I don't think she knew. I think she was saying literally like she, she was surprised to not see Kentucky. Why I, didn't she say it about Duke? Hmm. Kentucky's the winningest program in college basketball. Unless Kansas can uh, make the title game, right? Yeah, Kansas has to win five games. Or is it five to tie? Or I think five it's five to, to tie. Five so to if tie. they win the title, oh my gosh, could you imagine Jim Nance at the end of the game? He'd lose it. Wow, no pressure. Hmm. Win the title, become the winningest program in college basketball history. Two birds, one stone. Okay, um, this is probably the last time we're going to do this, right? I don't know if we're going to do it. I don't think we should be able to do no, it. No, I agree. Before, like Once games actually happen in the tournament. Yeah. So we've been doing a college basketball draft all season long. I have four teams. Derek has four teams. Each week we have the opportunity to drop a team and pick up somebody else. But this is the last chance we're going to do that. Loser has to buy winner a steak dinner. Mm-hmm. And now that the bracket is released... Let's look at our two teams. Your team, you have Gonzaga, a one seed. Loyola, Chicago, an eight seed. Michigan, a one seed. Ohio State, a two seed. So two one seeds, a two, and an eight. I have Baylor, a one seed. Iowa, a two seed. Illinois, a one seed. Alabama, a two seed. Since you have an eight seed, I'll give you the honors. I will give you the honors because you have Loyola as an eight seed. Would you like to drop anybody and pick anyone else up? I would. I would like to drop Loyola Chicago. I figured you might do that. And I feel kind of the same way the reason that I picked up Loyola Chicago to begin with a week ago or two weeks ago. I just felt like there was no other team that could win the title. Like if uh, you give me the list of Gonzaga, Michigan, Ohio State, Baylor, Iowa, Illinois, Alabama, realistically nobody else can win the title. I still feel the same way, but at least I'm just going to give myself a better shot. So I'm between two teams. Both of them are from the Lone Star State. Houston or Texas. Mm. Houston survived that little narrowing of the college uh, basketball field for the title contenders thing we did yesterday. So I'm tempted to take them. But realistically, can I close my eyes and envision Houston winning the title? They've done it before. Have they? Yeah. Well, they've made it to the Final Four. There's a difference. Like, Auburn made it to the Final Four a couple years ago, uh-huh. you know? Uh, the other school is Texas because, you know, Texas doesn't want a title either, though. But it's easier to see that because it's a Big 12 school, big athletic program, and they have the roster. Like, three senior guards, all of whom can get a bucket at any moment in time. They've got two guys who could be lottery picks or at least first-round picks and Greg Brown and Kai Jones. And then you've got that just kind of veteran big man down low who's going to be an elite rim protector and dunk it on the other end, Jericho Sims. But it's Shaka Smart. Can I see Shaka Smart winning a title? I don't think I can. So what are you going to do? You got to do one of them. I know. Well, Or you could pick somebody else. You have many other options, about, uh, I don't know, 60 of them. Do I go Purdue? You want to take a four seed? Not really. Be my guest. I'm going to go with Houston. Okay, that's probably what I would have done. Um, and with you taking Houston, I don't really have anybody that I want to take because it's, ironically enough... Hypothetically, I, if I took Texas, would you have subbed in Houston for somebody? Uh, I don't think so. I would have either lost Iowa or Bama, but the way I have it, I kind of like it because I have a, one team from each region. Or you could stack it all in one region, guarantee yourself a Final Four team. But, like, if I were... 
there's going to be teams or people. I don't know how many people are going to put Iowa in the Final Four just because of Gonzaga. But if I had a Final Four of Baylor, Iowa, Illinois, Alabama, it wouldn't be that crazy. It wouldn't. Hmm. It could very well be the Final Four. And since that's the case, if I get to the Final Four at that point, I would like my chances of one of those four teams winning the title. So, ipso facto. I would like to propose a trade. What would I need okay. to give up for Illinois? If we were having a redraft, Gonzaga would be the first pick and Illinois would be the second yeah. pick. So, I would probably need... You have some teams that are trending in the wrong direction, and I think you know it, and you're sweating. But you have Gonzaga, which is yeah. a good fallback plan. It's the ultimate trump card. It's your ace in the hole. Mm-hmm. You have Michigan. Don't like what's going on with them right now. You have Ohio State, who is still a good team, but... They kind of stumbled down the stretch, and their defense is pretty atrocious. And you just picked up a Houston team off the waiver wire in week 16. Uh, don't so worry about that. Houston's good. They're awesome. I, I was only thinking about picking up So, Houston. honestly, there's nothing you have. Wow. There's nothing you could do. I, I, I think of Illinois that much. Because I have Illinois in my title game. I'm not going to let you have the two best teams. And, if, I, and I know you're not giving up. I, I'm not going to do this trade, but I just like would like to hear your thought on it. I if would I you, were to offer you Gonzaga for Baylor, Iowa, and Alabama, so I would get six teams and you would just have Gonzaga and Illinois, you would take that, right? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Because it's not just that those two teams are good. It's that there was no really lull. Illinois had a lull about a month ago, but they finished a season on an incredible uptick in the best conference in the country. They got two of the best players in the country. I'm comfortable with the four teams I've got. Okay, so there you have it. Final draft of the year. These are the ones that we're going to bat with. You have Gonzaga, Houston, Michigan, Ohio State. I have Baylor, Iowa, Illinois, Bama. What are the chances somebody outside of those eight teams win the title? Low? It seems very low. It seems very low. We only had three teams yesterday that we said could win it. Gonzaga and Houston were two of them. You got two of them. Yeah. Then uh, what if we get a, Virginia's out there somewhere. We get a 2015 UConn run. They were 7 seed then. They played 8 seed Kentucky. We get UConn versus 8 seed North Carolina this time. If UConn beats Gonzaga in the Final Four for a chance at the title game, I will forget everything I thought I knew about this sport. <laughs> All right, he's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk.